Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up to Matthew uh, chapter 6. As you can tell, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know me, my name is Billy. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here, and that's a huge honor uh, for me. We're also excited to welcome our K through 5th kids into service this morning. So we're excited to have you guys, uh, excited for you to come in uh, with your parents and your guardians and see them worship God. We have a lot of fun over here uh, as well, and we know that you guys uh, hear the Word of God every week, and we pray that today would be fruitful uh, for you guys as well. And so uh, I don't know how much you know about the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest uh, message ever preached, right? So you'd say, Uh, how do you come out as a preacher and come behind a message from Jesus and add anything to it? And today, I don't really want to add anything to it. I just want to highlight a few of the things that Jesus said and maybe dig in uh, to a little bit more. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is my favorite sermon in all of the Bible. It deals uh, with many things, prayer, generosity, judgment, divorce, marriage, uh, loving our enemies, money, false belief, hypocrisy, everything you can think about, worry uh, as a disciple of Christ. It is a very important uh, passage for us to know. And uh, Jesus, of course, is the greatest preacher of all time. Not only is he a stud communicator, uh, but man, he has an incredible way of going about communicating uh, with people. You know, not only does he teach us how to believe and what to think, but he also challenges us to examine our actions Uh, which reveal what we truly believe. And so uh, it's going to be a great day, and I'm excited uh, to jump in to what he's trying to do. So let me pray for us again, and uh, we'll jump in. Father, uh, would you speak through your word? God, we know it's living and active, and God, we need you. And God, we need your word. So God, would you convict us? God, would you teach us? Would you train us? And God, would you leave us different than when we came in today? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the Sermon on the Mount is very important uh, to believers. It is a sermon from Jesus to his disciples, uh, and it is about what the kingdom of God will look like on earth, right? And so uh, if you know anything about the church, uh, the church is kind of God's vehicle to bring heaven to earth. The kingdom of God is to be displayed in the church of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that not only do we say we're believers, but we live out what we believe. Now, the Sermon on the Mount Uh, is not, uh, a lot of times we read it and we're like, Billy, there's no way I can live up to all that, right? Uh, There's no way I can be perfect. Even in there it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees who were kind of the holy of holies in those days, then you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Well, the good news of the gospel is that we're not working for our righteousness. We're not working for our perfection. Jesus has provided that for us as we believe in the cross and we believe in the resurrection and we put our faith in Christ. So now as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're free from uh, the guilt of I can never add up and now we can read it as a Christian Uh, as a very uh, tool to how we should live our life so that we can display the kingdom of God on earth today. And that's very important uh, that we understand that. And so I want to make a couple points uh, today and then talk, just kind of dig into what Jesus has already said. The first thing, kids, you should have an activity guide for, for this. The first point there is kingdom people store up their treasures in heaven. Kingdom people store up their treasures in heaven. If we want to be a part of God's kingdom, 
then he has asked us to store up our treasures in heaven. Listen to what he says one more time. Verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin uh, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Underline verse 21 in your Bible. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. This is a very interesting thing. It's kind of confusing if you don't understand it. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. He's talking about if our view matches the view of God, if we see things through an eternal lens, it changes the way we see everything. However, if we see things through a worldly lens, it also leads to a lot of unhealthy things in our life. He says, if then the light within you is darkness, then how great will that darkness be? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's important to see here that Jesus himself gives us three things. He gives us a truth, uh, a very profound, simple statement. Uh, he gives us some indicators. So basically, again, not only is he teaching us truth of what to believe, he's given us some indicators to examine our life by. Think of an indicator like on your uh, truck. If your gas light pops up, that's an indicator you need to go get some gas. So as you begin to look, Jesus wants us to look into some indicators, and then it kind of leads us to a question. Jesus doesn't ask a question, but as we read that passage, it presents a question in our life. And so we'll talk about each of those. Letter A, truth. So here's the thing. Here's the truth. There are two ways that we can live our lives. Every person in this room, there's two ways that you can live your life. You can either store up treasures in heaven and live your life with an eternal perspective, or you can store up treasures on earth, right? That's very polarizing. That separates people into two groupings. Either you're on one side of the wall living for earth and, and, and living for the now, here and now, or you're living for eternity or you're storing up your treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus wants you to see is that there, uh, there, it's one or the other. Either you love the earth and where and, and your treasure, that's where your treasure is, or you love God and that's where your treasure is. So it, it, when you think of the word treasure, think about what is most precious in your life. What do you value the most? Where are those things located, heaven or earth? But listen to me, uh, it, it's important because what we treasure uh, controls everything about us. That's what Jesus knows. He knows where our treasure is our whole life will follow after that. It controls what you do, it controls how you see, it controls what you love. People that live for heavenly treasure are characterized by eternal pursuits. They're thinking about eternity, they're living their life on earth now in view of eternity, in view of heaven. They're all about the kingdom of God. They're all about their relationship with God. They value relationships and investing their life into people. They value loving others. They, they live sent, so to speak, as we call it here. They live as missionaries now on earth where they are. They truly think about people's souls. And when they think of people in their life, they think about 
that that person has a name and that person has a soul and that person will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And if they don't know God, then they are separated from the very purpose in which they were created. There's no fulfillment, no satisfaction in their life. And they love them and show them the kingdom of God. They're all about investing their lives into others. They're all about leveraging everything they have for the mission of God, all of their time, their talent, their money, leveraging it for the kingdom, which is eternal. Versus the other side are people that live for earth, right? Are characterized uh, by earthly pursuits. If you're storing up treasure on earth, then everything about you has to do with your earthly pursuits. Uh, they're all about the world. They're, they're into building their best life now. They're looking for fulfillment and more money, a fancier car, a better job, a nicer house, this American dream that we tend to buy into. But Jesus says, listen, every material thing we can have on this earth, every uh, treasure that we put in a thing that's on this earth, he says uh, that it is temporary. And none of it has any eternal value whatsoever. None of it will give you the peace and the fulfillment that you're looking for it to give you. And that's Jesus's point. And it's actually a very good point. I know you know that because it's Jesus, but it is a game changer. When you think about this point in your life, if you know that eternity is coming and that compared, compared to eternity, uh, this life on earth is like the blink of an eye, Jesus says. It's, it's like a vapor that appears today, but it's gone tomorrow then why would we invest everything into uh, that mist or this blink of an eye, this short thing that, that really uh, it, it has no value for eternal uh, implications? Why would, why would we spend all of our time and energy and money on things that won't last and things that we can't hold on to? Jesus says it makes no sense. I mean, from a biblical standpoint, it makes no sense in, to invest something uh, into something that's not gonna last, right? Randy Alcorn, I don't know if you know who that is. He wrote a book. Uh, he's a pastor. It's called The Treasure Principle, and it's a very good book. Someone gave it to me very early on in my Christian life, and in this book, he gives us what he calls the treasure principle, and it's a great principle to live our life by, and this principle says you can't take any of your earthly resources with you to heaven, but you can send them on ahead, Right, And so think about that. You can't take anything you have, these earthly materials or earthly resources with you to heaven, but you can send those things on ahead. I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but you'll notice anytime you see a hearse that's carrying a dead body to their burial, there'll never be a U-Haul truck behind it. Because we come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. And it's important that we understand that the only thing that will have any value is what we've invested into eternity. What you invest in, in, in eternal purposes will be stored up for you in heaven. That's the teaching of the Bible. Think about it like a heavenly bank account. What you invest on this earth into eternal things will be stored up for you in your heavenly bank account. That begs you to ask a question. Will you be poor in heaven or will you have a lot of money in heaven or will you have a lot of riches in heaven based off of how you live your life here? It's important for us to understand that. I wanna tell you a story that really impacted me about a guy that chose to live his life for uh, heavenly treasures. This guy, uh, how many of you guys have heard of Borden Milk? Uh, you've heard of the milk cart and you see Borden, a little cow on there. Borden is kind of a big deal. It's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, well, uh, a while ago, there was a son 
uh, named William Borden. And this guy was set to inherit the business. This is a multi-billion dollar business, live in a safe country, uh, live and, and inherit uh, just a ton of money. But God began to lead him uh, to be a missionary, to give up all of that and go be a missionary among an unreached uh, people group. And I wanna read his story. It says, uh, William Borden, a young man who was an heir to the Borden Milk Company, uh, which is a multi-billion dollar company, uh, walked away from it uh, all to go be a missionary in Egypt. He was only there for a few months when he contracted meningitis and died. Think about it. That's a tough situation. Just a few hours before he died, though, someone asked him if he saw this whole missionary or leaving everything to come to Egypt thing as a mistake. Listen to what he said. He was so weak that he couldn't talk, but he grabbed a piece of paper and he wrote on this piece of paper, no regrets. Today, if you go to his burial site, which is in Cairo, Egypt, uh, you'll find this tombstone that's very plain looking. You'll see the name William Borden. You'll see his short lifespan on there, and you'll see a quote, and I want you to write this quote down. And this quote is this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And I want you to think about this because this is the teaching that Jesus is giving us, that apart from faith in Christ, apart from our eyes fixed on eternity and our belief that eternity is real and that that's our home, our life should not make sense. And so when you think about that in your own life, can you, like William Borden, I'm not saying you have to be a missionary in Egypt. Maybe you do, but, but for some of us, are we living a life that doesn't make sense apart from faith? The second thing Jesus does is he gives us these indicators, these indicators of where our treasure is, these indicators that reveal to us what matters most, what, what in our life are we truly treasuring and are we truly living for. And these indicators are three things. He talks about our heart, he talks about our eyes, and he talks about our money. And here's the thing, God is a genius. He knows uh, that we need indicators because Every one of us in here love to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? We are uh, a prey to self-deception. A lot of us uh, are, are very uh, quick to say uh, or are quick to assume that we are in a good place and that we treasure God the same way the disciples would. And Jesus said, okay, well, let's just look at a few indicators in your life. Our heart, what you treasure will be revealed by your heart's affections and your heart's emotions, so, so what, what do you think about? What, 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 do you, uh, what, do you, what moves you? What, what causes emotion to come out of you? That will show you what you value. Our eyes. He, I remember he says that kind of weird statement, but he's talking about uh, what, we, what you treasure will be revealed by your perspective. He says healthy eyes versus unhealthy eyes. Healthy eyes see eternity. Unhealthy eyes see earthly and then he says our money, what you treasure will be revealed while, by where your money is going or where you're investing your money. So let's talk about these for a little bit. First, follow your heart. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's ask some questions. What has your heart? 
What has your affections? What, what do you think about constantly? What controls your emotions? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you rage or go off on somebody? What makes you pick up your phone and, and type up this long rant on social media? What is it that's moving you? What controls you? What do you think about first and last when you wake up and go to bed? Are these eternal things or are these earthly things? Listen, does it bother you that people are dying and going to hell around you? Listen, uh, do you ever think about the things of God? Like, are the things about, the, are the, is the kingdom of God important in your life? Are you wrestling when you're not thinking about the kingdom of God? Are you, are you fighting sin in your life? Does your heart break over the things that God's heart breaks over? Injustices, uh, suffering, sin, lost people, are those things, do those things move you? Because when you're in the kingdom of God and the spirits at work within you, those are the things that come out. Secondly, Jesus says to follow your eyes. Listen to the passage again. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. He's basically asking, do you have healthy eyes or do you have unhealthy eyes? He, he almost talks about them like glasses. Uh, do you have earthly glasses on that's all about the earth and all about what you could do in this world? Or do you have your eternal glasses on that are thinking about eternity and thinking about storing up treasures in heaven? Healthy eyes see heaven as more valuable than earth, and they lay up treasures there. Unhealthy eyes see earth as more valuable, and they lay up treasures here on earth. Healthy eyes see life on this earth the same way Christ did. They see it as an opportunity to serve others, an opportunity to be generous to others, an opportunity to leverage everything we have for God's kingdom and God's mission. On the other hand, unhealthy eyes value the world over God. They see everything like a, a, through a selfish lens, a temporary lens of uh, what's best now. Uh, they see satisfaction and they seek satisfaction and fulfillment in this world. They, they, it's not wrong for us to have uh, nice things, but it's wrong for us to make nice things God things. Because when we insert uh, worldly material things or people on this earth or temporary earthly things in the spot that God's designed to be, it begins to lead us down a trail uh, that is bad. They truly see this world as their home. That's kind of the, the crux of the story. So let me ask you a question. Which eyes are you seeing through? Because what you see through, the lens that you see the world through is very important because it will control how you live your life. And as a Christian, maintaining an eternal perspective is a big deal. And listen to me, it is not easy. This whole world is, is structured and social media and all the things that we have access to, to lure us in and suck us in to living for this world. And Satan loves to grab us and reel us in to those things, but we must put on our eternal glasses through the power of the Holy Spirit and live and fight and strive and pray to see things the way Christ does. This is our job, this is the way we see people, this is our kids, our marriage, everything about us. How would seeing it through an eternal lens change the way we viewed it? Thirdly, you see Jesus says to follow your money. And throughout the Bible, if you've been here, you know we talk about this all the time. Money is an incredible indicator. It reveals a lot about us. 
If you wanna know what you treasure, then follow your bank account. Look at your bank account. Look at the financial decisions that you are making. What are you spending your money on? Are they earthly things? Are they eternal things? What do you do with your money does reveal a great deal about you. It reveals what you love most, what you trust in the most, and ultimately it reveals what kingdom that you are living for. Let me give you some quick statistics. Uh, Most Americans give less than 2% of their income away. You could take that as most Americans leverage 2% of their income and, and, and give it towards other people in generosity, which we know generosity is a huge principle in the kingdom of God and one of the ways we reveal. Listen to this. The church, which is, you know, most Americans, but for Christians, that number is 2.5%. So the world gives 2% of their income away. The church gives 2.5% of their income away by statistics. Now, let's ask a question. Does that scream we're living for a different kingdom? No, it, it meshes together. The church, in many ways, has conformed to the stinginess of the world instead of adopting uh, the mindset of Christ. Listen here, even in our church, only about 10 to 20% of the people that attend here actually tithe, give 10% of their money to the church or to the mission of God uh, through the local church. What does this say about us? What does this communicate about what we treasure and about our heart? Jesus says our giving should scream that I believe in eternity and that I'm living for his kingdom. Like our money should scream that. Remember William Borden's tombstone, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. When it comes to your money, can you say apart from faith in Christ, there's, there's no explanation for how you steward your money. Lastly, uh, this, this whole passage kind of brings us down to a final question, and that question is, what are you storing? Uh, where are you storing up your, your treasures? That's what Jesus wants each of us to ask, and it's very personal. What kingdom are you living for? What kingdom does your heart and your perspective and your money reveal that you're living for? I'm praying today that, that this would be a challenge that we could begin to live in a better way for eternity. Secondly, uh, kids, if you wanna write this down on your your notes there, kingdom people choose faith over worry. Kingdom people choose faith over worry. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a 20-point sermon, right? Y'all give me a hard time by how many points I have. Jesus had 20, right? So y'all take it easy. Um, The second point I wanna kind of dive into is in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? So Jesus is trying, again, get them to think about life more than just what your needs are on earth, but but life being found in him. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who was a rich guy in the Old Testament who had a lot of materials, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or even what should we wear? For the pagans, pagans in the Bible are people that do not know God or have a heavenly father in God. Uh, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so one of the things that Jesus points out is that when it comes to the kingdom of God and the people of God and the world, our view of worry and how we deal with worry should be very different because we have a heavenly father that we believe will take care of us. Now, I wanna give you a disclaimer because I understand this idea of worry and some translations even use the word anxiety can be a very complex uh, topic to dive into. And, and I would say some, t some anxiety and worry is definitely clinical, right? It's a medical condition that you probably need to go see someone about. In most cases, uh, though, I would say we need to be challenged to look at our lives and challenged on the teaching that Jesus gives us here. We shouldn't just immediately throw all anxiety and worry into the clinical category and just medicate it. We should actually seek it out the way God is talking about it because it may very well be spiritual and God can give us some freedom if we can walk in the way that he asked here. So let's start with this. All of us struggle with worry and anxiety from time to time. That's not, I don't think any person in here would say that. But here's the thing. Worry and anxiety likes to make you feel like you're alone. But I want you to understand that there's not one person in this room that has not struggled with anxiety or worry in a time in their life. And I want you to understand, if you're here and you think you're alone, you're not. All of us have struggled with this from time to time. But here's the thing about anxiety and worry. Both of these can be emotionally and, and psychologically paralyzing. They can really do some damage in our life and make us feel like we can't do anything. And both are spiritual thieves that just rob us of our joy and our peace and much sleep and a thousand other things that you could go into. And there's so many things that can cause us to be anxious and cause us to worry. Uh, here's a few. Money, not having enough, how I'm going to provide for our family, being alone. That's probably the number one thing that I, that I hear. Uh, the future, thinking about the future, being accepted by others is a big deal. Going to the doctor can scare and, and cause some of us to be uh, worried. Uh, whether I'm truly living out God's purpose for my life. Some of us wrestle with that. Losing control is something that causes a ton of anxiety. Being separated from my family. COVID has caused a lot of anxiety with that. Being able to find the right spouse. Many of us have been through worry and anxiety with that. Being able to have a child. Many of us have walked through that. Losing a spouse or a child or losing another child. All of those things can cause some deep anxiety. Failing as a parent. You know, social media. Uh, causes, if you look at social media and it produces anxiety and worry, don't look at it, right? That's a simple fix. I'll help you for, for free of charge. Um, and the next thing that we need to understand is, is ultimately worry and what worries us most is what we are most devoted to, right? That, that's what we got to understand is what produces anxiety and worry in our life 
is always linked to something that we are devoted to, something that, that is precious or valuable uh, to us. And ultimately, uh, we, this is why Jesus teaches on treasure right before he teaches on worry. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I worry about my children, right? Sometimes it even keeps me up at night if they're sick or if uh, you know they're gonna turn out right or something Will said or all these things. You probably don't lose sleep at night over my kids. Why? Because you're not devoted to my kids. It doesn't mean that you don't love them and care about them, pray for them. It just means that you're not devoted. You probably don't lose sleep about my bank account. Why? Because you're not devoted to it. I don't lose sleep over your bank account, right? It's, it's what we're devoted to many times will come right out from that. And on top of all this, worry and anxiety are both uh, the type of problems that give birth to all other kinds of problems. I mean, even doctors will tell you a ton of medical conditions are caused by stress and anxiety, most of them. It's incredible. Uh, it's like a wildfire that quickly begins to spread through our entire life, and Jesus has a lot to say about it. Listen to this quote by Pastor uh, John Piper uh, as he talks about this idea. He says, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. He says, anxiety about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety with relationships will make you withdrawn and indifferent towards other people. Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie and even stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins in our life. This is why Jesus' teaching is so important here. He wants us to understand that worry is not just caused by things going on outside of us. Jesus would actually say the root of anxiety and worry is, th is what's going on inside of us. And that's what Jesus especially can fix. Jesus shows us here that the root cause of our worry and anxiety is unbelief. That's what he's saying. He's saying that unbelief is the root cause of this anxiety inside of us. And I want you to understand today, if you don't walk away with anything else uh, about this point of worry, that worry is a divine invitation to trust God. In your life, when that worry or that anxiety comes up, the Bible would say it is a divine invitation to trust God. So here we go. I wanna give you a couple things uh, that I think are practical and helpful that Jesus points out about worry. Uh, the first one is this, letter A. Worry thinks too little of God. Worry thinks too little about God. How do I know this? Well, Jesus' solution to worry is in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that God will meet all of your needs. Right, Paul David Tripp, a, a famous author, talks about worry being God forgetful. That's what it is. It's when we, uh, the only, uh, when worry is produced in our life, we have to become so focused on our circumstances or whatever is causing us to worry that we forget God and we forget His promises. This is why Jesus teaches us that the great antidote of worry and anxiety is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that God is going to provide for everything we need exactly when we need it. It is a spiritual impossibility to seek the kingdom and forget God. The very essence of seeking the kingdom is knowing God and walking with God, and it changes a lot about how we deal with our circumstances. Secondly, worry doesn't just think too little of God. Worry minimizes how much God thinks of us. 
right? So it, it causes us to minimize how much God thinks of us. Just think about what Jesus says. He says, hey, look at the birds of the air. Uh, look at the flowers of the field. That they, don't, they don't want, they don't worry. God provides for them. Don't you know he's gonna provide so much more for his children, a person that's his son and daughter that's created in his image? When worry and anxiety arise in our life, we need to understand, one, to seek first the kingdom, and secondly, that we're valuable to God, that God wants to meet our needs, that we're sons and daughters of the living God. We're precious children of God, and, and he is sovereign, and he wants to provide for our needs. And then the last thing about it is that worry is just overall a liar. Like, it lies. It is a trap used by our enemy to reel us in and make us forget who we are, forget who we belong to, and forget the promises that God has given us. Listen to this. Single-handedly, worry and anxiety has kept so many people from being obedient to God. And it is a tool of the enemy to try to keep you from taking the next step of faith that God's asking you to take. It's kept many of us from sharing our faith, from stepping into a connect group, uh, from, from, from going on the mission field, from sharing our faith. Uh, it's kept many of us from salvation and truly surrendering our life to Christ. And it is an absolute liar, absolute liar. And then the last point that I wanna dive into is Jesus's uh, Jesus's point uh, that he kind of ends. It's almost his conclusion, and I think it's really cool uh, to read it. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 through 27. Kids, if you wanna write down the point, it's this. Kingdom people build their lives on the teaching of Jesus. Kingdom people build their lives on the teaching of Jesus. Listen to this story, it's incredible. Therefore, everyone, this is Jesus talking. This is how he ends his sermon. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Underline, hears these words of mine, and underline, puts them into practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and when the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, it did not fall. Why? Because it had, been, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Those are the two types of people. Is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, and when the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against that house, it fell and great was its crash. You know, the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about the people of God displaying the kingdom of God on earth through the way that we live our life. And the way we do that is by building our life on the teaching of Christ, period. Like that, that's the pathway to being a successful Christian, to being a part of what God is doing. Once God saves us and we begin to come into a relationship with him only by grace, through faith, then now God wants to use us to display his kingdom on the earth. And it's important that we understand those two simple steps that he gives us. Hear the word and do the word. Hear the word of God and put it into practice. So I want to ask you a question. When it comes to hearing God's word, we are a church that wants you to hear the word of God and we want to come alongside of you to hear and obey the word of God in your life. I would challenge you. We, we call it the big three here. We want you to engage in the big three. 
The first is Sunday sermons. We want you to be here on Sundays to hear God's word. We're gonna teach God's word every week and we're gonna help you apply it to your life. Secondly, we have something on our app called the 412 Reading Plan. If you're new here, you haven't heard of it. It is a daily reading plan that we work very hard to walk through together as a church. We give you a devotional to go through and kind of point out what the scripture's saying, questions, Bible study questions to think about, and that's available for you for free right there on your, on your app, Connection Church Friday app. And then the third thing of the big three is, is, is a connect group. These are our small groups that meet during the week that literally are all about studying God's word and applying God's word to your life. The last thing I want you to do is walk out of here condemned. Like you can't do this. That God has placed the church in your life to come alongside of you and help. But we can't help if you don't engage. And so I challenge you to engage. The biggest issue in the church today, listen to me, is not that we don't hear the word of God, it's that we don't do it. If I had a dollar for every time a person came to me and said, Billy, I know I need to forgive this person. I know I need to love this person. Jesus would tell me that, but I just can't because of blah, blah, blah. That's not the offer of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that we believe that God's way is the best way and that we take him at his word and we not only hear his word, but we do what it said. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we be a church, God, that has a soft heart when it comes to your word. God, that we'd be a church that would be engaged in your word on a daily basis. God, we need you. God, only you can give us a desire to want to know you more and more. God, would you show us sin in our life? Would you show us things in our life that are hindering us from wanting to know you more and more? God, will we be a church that stores up our treasure in heaven? God, that doesn't get caught up in this rat race that we are in our world today. But God, we'd be focused on eternity and that would drive everything that we do. God, would you help the person in here? God, this life is full of anxiety and worry. God, maybe they're being treated medically, but they've never brought it to you. God, today would be a day that they would bring it to you. God, they would see the root as unbelief. And God, they would see you for who you are, a loving father that wants to provide for every need that they have. And God, they would begin to learn your word. God, memorize your word, sing your word. God, just have your word in them so much that when that moment arises, they would be at rest the way Paul talks about. They would be prayerful people. And God, you'd remind them of who you are. And God, for the person in here today that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, I wanna speak directly to them. You'd say, today's the day, man. I don't have a relationship with God, but today I want one. And I feel like God has drawn me to himself. And I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you lift your hand right where you are and say, Billy, that's me, 100%. I wanna have a relationship with God. I need to be saved. And anybody in here, you'd raise your hand, say hi. Say, Billy, that's me. So Father, I pray, God, would you create in us your heart. God, would we be the light of the world as you've called us to be, the salt of the earth. God, would you raise us up. God, would you convict us. God, would you send us out to be exactly who you've called us to be in the world. God, help us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back next week.